Welcome back to the Battery Capital Startup Sales Podcast. Today, we're joined by John Fernandez, SVP Marketing of Glia. Thanks for coming on, John. Thanks for having me. So, John, tell us a little bit more about yourself and your current company, Glia. Yeah, so, um, you know, head of marketing at Glia, um, have had a bit of an interesting background. Not many marketers um, got into marketing by being particle physics dropouts who played chess professionally, but I'm, I'm one of them. I uh, have been doing this for 21 years, uh, 10 years on the B2C side and 11 years on the B2B side. Um, joined Glia at the, at the end of 2018. Uh, I lead all of marketing. Um, Glia is a pretty amazing company. Um, we help um, financial institutions connect better um, with their customers online, much like um, all of us in the tech world are used to things like Zoom. Um, if you've ever gone online and tried to reach out to um, your bank or your credit union or your insurance provider, you know how, how challenging it can be. Um, a lot of old school telephone systems and what Glia provides is a digital customer service platform um, that really helps make those communications be as simple as um, the Zooms and the modern technology we all know and love and the stuff we use at, at home with our family and friends on things like WhatsApp and Facebook. So um, it, it's neat to have something that is um, very, very helpful for companies. Awesome. Um, and so before we dive into the topic of today, which is marketing attribution, one, one thing we always like to ask is what is one thing that no one listening to this podcast knows about you? I probably gave the, 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 the particle physics chess background. That's usually the secret there. Um, you know, I mean, uh, you're certainly not something I, I do a lot of. I don't, I don't play much these days, but um you know, been involved in the chess world. But I found that uh, that that background helps. You know, with uh, with being data driven, being analytics driven, and and being sort of intellectually honest. Um, so it's certainly um, certainly a fun part of my background. For sure, for sure. I actually went to chess camp way back when when I was growing up in Oklahoma. Um, so that's awesome. Let's uh, let's let's dig in here. So let's just start with the the very basics. What do we mean when we say attribution and why is it important? A lot of the founders we work with maybe don't come from a sales background. So let's, let's kind of start really high level. Um, I, will, I will go to the Oxford English Dictionary on this one. Um, it defines <laughs> attribution as the act of saying or believing that something is the result of a particular thing. Um, and I think that that's ultimately what we're getting at, which is, you know, you think of the old, the old advertising adage of 50% of my ad budget is wasted. I don't know which 50%. Um, mm-hmm. the, the approach to, you know, marketing these days is which dollars of ours that we're spending are working and which aren't, right? And, and then ultimately the, how do we do more of the stuff that's working and how do we either fix or stop doing the stuff that's, that's not. And so, when we're talking attribution, we're talking about the, the, the sort of marketing discipline of saying, of this revenue we produced, these are the marketing activities that, that drove it, right? Which is, you know, something that uh, is, is often a cause of huge tension in the, in the C-suite. You know, it's where marketing is very often viewed at as a cost center and not a revenue center or an investment center. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so attribution this sort of small a attribution is sort of the, the foray of marketing saying, wait, we, we're involved in revenue and here's how. Mm-hmm. And so what has changed in recent years that has kind of 
catapulted attribution to be such a hot topic? So I think two two things have, have really driven that. I think the, the the first thing is technology keeps getting better and better, right? If you think of, you know, 10 years ago, marketers were struggling to getting any data whatsoever. Um, now you could almost argue we have too much. <laughs> Um, but the answer is we, we, getting the data has stopped being a problem, right? So the, the, the data is there, um, you know, and, and, and all of the, the information is there. It needs to be analyzed, right? And there's, there's obviously a challenge for that. But um, the excuse of we don't have the data stopped you know, quite a few years ago. And then the other thing, and this goes into a little bit of, of attribution models as well, is, you know, we used to say, hey, we did this trade show or we did this webcast or we did this, you know, Google ad spend and this much money came from it. Um, uh-huh. in, in a world before account-based marketing, um, that was probably a bit more okay. But what you're seeing with account-based marketing is the understanding that it's not just what happens to one person, it's what happens to the whole account. And we're doing more things within an account. So you think of an account that closes that might have, you know, 20 different contacts doing 50 different things across one one deal. So the complexity of saying this is where this one deal came from is it the the answer is a lot more complicated than it used to be. Um, and so you know we're seeing you know and I think also more broadly speaking there's the um, Marketing is getting pushed and pushed more and more to be be data driven. You think of the proliferation of market uh, of Martech in general. Mm-hmm. Um, so the, yep. the tools are out there, and so you know the kind of the combination of all those things is why attribution is is such a hot topic and really has been one for the for the past few years. Got it. So it's a combination essentially of this proliferation of data now that now that data is at our fingertips, as well as marketing and sales are working even more closely in tandem such that it's it's even that much more important that we are making sure that um, attribution is going to the right teams. Yep. Got it. And so I've, 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 I've seen some of your presentations in the past and that I've certainly learned a lot from them in terms of, you know, there are a ton of ways to splice up the revenue attribution between sales and marketing teams and everywhere in between, which you've alluded to. What are, give us some examples of some of the most commonly used attribution models. Yeah, so the first thing I would say is that, and I always thought that this was a, a point of um, of some tension is when marketers usually talk attribution, they are talking marketing attribution, not full business attribution. You know, one of my one of my favorite gotcha questions I love asking people is, um, I tell them that I know what their best performing piece of content is from an attribution perspective. And I, and I bet them that they don't. Um, and so far I've, I've never lost this bet. And what I would say after they think about it and guess something and uh, they try to figure out what the trap is. And then I say, well, it's your master service agreement. Hmm. And they go, uh-huh. And I go, well, every single deal that closed saw the master service agreement. It's a piece of content, right? It's a piece of right. legal content it's sent by sales. But if I did an attribution model that included the master service agreement as a piece of content sent to the prospect, in the same way we do a white paper or an ebook or something, Uh um, it would score very, very well, 
Because generally we're talking about marketing attribution. So, um, you know, and, and I think that's also because sales teams, uh, as I would say, sales is, is the easiest to measure. Um, it may be the hardest to manage. Uh, marketing is often the hardest to measure and, and, and sometimes it's the easiest to manage. Um, and, and you know, so generally we're talking about attribution. We're talking for sure marketing attribution. Um, and, and effectively the big, the big departure is, do you use a single touch model or a multi-touch model? And so I'll, I'll, I'll use this as an example. Let's say I have a deal of a close for $100,000. Um, how do I measure that? In a single touch model, there's always one thing that's going to get full credit for that $100,000, right? Um, it will, by definition, ignore all of the touch points that happen in that, that buyer journey. It's certainly low complexity. Um, you know, there's no, no sophistication. Um, you know, certainly if you have a very compelling call to action environment, like for example, if the majority of your business comes from, you know, online free trials driven by one sign-up page on your site, mm -hmm. you're probably okay. You can use kind of a, 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 a single touch model. The multi-touch models are far more complex, right? There, no one point, no one touch point is getting 100% of credit. Right. Um, usually, very few get zero percent credit too. Right. There's certainly much more higher complexity. Your models can be very sophisticated. Um, you know, it can be very you know strong where you don't have that compelling call to action. Where it's a lot of things have to happen for some for a buyer to close, and that's the case certainly in a lot of you know B2B SaaS. You know, certainly five, six, seven figure regimes. Um, mm -hmm. You know, using kind of that multi-touch model, and then it's obviously you know. Um, you know, is it all or nothing versus shades of gray? You know, that's that's always the case. Right. There's sort of the ease of, of understanding everything. And there's there's certainly, you know, um, to give a few examples, right? You know, you can think of things. We talk about, you know, we talk about single touch models. You know, there are a few different ones, right? One of them is first touch. So how'd they get into my database, right? What phone did they fill out? That gets everything, right? You know, mm -hmm. so there's some models of those. Those are the most, you know, Super simplistic. That's a very bias towards top of funnel, right? So that will give right, a lot right. of credit to, you know, think of blogs, think of thought leadership early on, right? There are some that will think of like lead creation touch. And this is a bit of a, a, a historical view of back when things were in the marketing uh, automation platform and only came into the sales CRM, you know, at a certain point. When you think of it as what made it a marketing qualified lead. And that's not mm -hmm. always the first touch. Sometimes it is. You know, there's some that say, you know, what was the last touch? What was the last thing that happened before they close? Right? You know, so, some of them will say sort of, you know, what is the last touch of a particular channel? Right? So we only want to look at what trade shows were involved. We only want to look at what, what right. you know, web-based things were involved. And so even just in single touches, you can see the way you measure can have a really, really huge impact on, on what right. that ultimately answer becomes right and the right model obviously is going to vary depending on the business depending on how you know the the, the sales process what the marketing funnel even looks like and so there's, there's really no kind of one size fits all just taking taking a framework and adapting it to your to your specific situation and i think that's ultimately one of the bigger challenges right you know is, is yeah, totally everything could work you don't know right 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 and so when should when should start well a couple things first so to to kind of quickly recap and clarify so when when marketing folks talk about attribution 
they're specifically focused on kind of marketing attribution. So what is the piece that marketing is getting? How is that getting split up in, in, between different teams within marketing? Not necessarily attribution across the entire business, including um, sales and, and other uh, and other teams as well. Is that fair to say? Correct. And and, and that's where it can get. Uh, I I I found this a confrontational statement, but I think it's true. I, I think attribution is is fraught with ethics issues, right? And, and and I actually believe pretty strongly that a, that a lot of marketers these days are using attribution models in very unethical ways and they don't realize it. Um, because you, you kind of hinted at, at, at ultimately, you know, what, what marketing attribution model you use impacts the resourcing of a company, right? You know, right. you think of the way that... Uh, you know, you think of the way that a CFO has to report, right? If you're in a public company, the CFO's financial analysis of what performed, like they could go to jail if they get that wrong, <laughs> right? Yeah. Um, you yeah. know, um, you know, heads of, you know, I mean, you know, I've, I've certainly heard of, you know, heads of sales who've, you know, gotten terminated for fudging numbers, right? And somehow marketing attribution comes in, it's like, well, whatever model I use is okay. Well, you know, no, I mean, if you have, if you have a top of, you know, say you have a single touch model that is very focused on top of funnel, that top of funnel team is going to get added resources, added headcount, added protection from the way you present that data. Um, if you have a very bottom of funnel um, attribution model, it's going to be the reverse. Right? And that, mm -hmm. that impacts people's jobs, right? And I've, I've certainly um, you know, known of many cases where the attribution model that a business was using really impacted resourcing in people's jobs we're literally just changing the attribution model will cause the business to be in a very different way so i think we need to be very very careful that says just because we have all these tools we need to be careful about what biases we put into these um and and how it works so i, I think that that's the first thing i say is like look how you measure really matters I and mean, you're looking at the uh, being in the in the c-suite or you know, even in the boardroom it's like hey it's, it's pencils down like explain the attribution model you're using, explain why it is, explain how it's going to, what biases it's going to have. I think the good news is, you know, most marketing automation platforms and even you know, Google Analytics, you know, has some of these attribution models already baked in. And so this is something you can pretty easily, um, you know, get up and running. Uh, but, but do understand, like, you know, when, when you measure the way you performed as a marketer, you're doing it kind of from a, a defensive perspective, right? You're doing it to justify your job. You're doing it to justify the right. investment the company is making in you. That doesn't mean you have to be defensive about it. And, um, you know, I think a, a lot of people really have been drawn to attribution models because, you know, the challenge of a single touch attribution model is, it creates a situation where you say, hey, this one thing is why the deal came in. Stop doing everything else. And, and we understand as marketers that that's not necessarily the right answer, right? You know, mm -hmm. especially I, I tend to think very bottom of funnel in what I do. That doesn't mean the blog's not important, even though in right. you know, a last touch attribution model, the blog's usually going to get zero dollars of, of, of quote unquote credit. Um, right, you know, right, right. It's not important, right? And I think people have started using attribution models as this way to sort of peanut butter evenly spread the revenue across everything saying, hey, look, everything's working, right? And it, it's really not designed for that. It's designed to be you know, a set of diagnostic tools that can, you can use. It's very powerful for comparing, you know, one piece of content 
versus another and, and, and such. Uh, but the great news is, you know, they're pretty easy to set up. They're, they're inherent in most analytic systems, whether it's marketing automation or, or even Google Analytics. And so you can get pretty familiar with it, you know, with, with just a little bit of Googling online. They're, they're actually not as scary as people tend to think they are. John, when should a startup start thinking about implementing an attribution model? Is it a certain revenue number? Is it a certain headcount number? Maybe a number of marketing marketing folks? How do you, how do you think about that? It's something you should you want to think about it as early as possible. Um, you know, on, on the other hand, it, you know, certainly when you're at the early stage, you're just doing everything you can to to, to just grow and and, and keep growing. Um, so I certainly understand the, the pressure when you're, you're certainly you know, moving from kind of pre-revenue to, to early stage. I would say, you know, the, the most important thing is it's going to generally be tool-driven, right? You know, when you start to look at a more of an ABM approach, you're going to start to be, you know, you're going to usually have, you know, a few million error under your belt, and you're going to have the tools to support it, right? I, I would say, you know, if, mm. if you already have tools that have it, so you've purchased marketing automation, you know, you've, you've, you've got some sophistication in your MarTech stack. That's the to think about it. If you're in a spot where you're spending really all your money on programs and, and just headcount and doing everything you can to, to, to get stuff in, then I wouldn't focus on it as much. But that being said, it is a great diagnostic tool. It, you know, it can, mm-hmm. it can really help when you think of, you know, when you're super early stage, you know, the ability to make intelligent decisions with the little dry powder you have um, right. to really be impactful, right? So, so in some ways, right. it's, it's never too soon. But that being said, you know, the, the complexity of certain models, you know, really, it, it takes a little bit of experience with what are your buyer journeys? How do you want to measure it? You know, if you kind of have a too small of an end in terms of customers or data points to work on, your models are going to be still way too different. So really about the technology you know, really drive it. And, you know, it's more when it's like, okay, here's the marketing work. We're going to have an ABM program in place. We're starting to see multi-touch. Once you have a really clear idea of your buyer journey and an understanding that it is a multi-touch item, that's where you're probably going to look at what is the right attribution model for me and testing things out. Got it. Got it. Yeah, no, that makes sense. And that's an interesting point, you know, from a, a more mature company, from a marketer's perspective, attribution is super important for how, they're getting paid ultimately, but even early on for more scrappy startups, it's important to to at least be paying attention to you know ROI and, and what type of content, what types of activities are getting you the most bang for your buck, um, just from an overall business standpoint. Yeah, totally. And one of the ways that I and one of the ways that I look at it is you know it's sort of a marketer's responsibility to look at every single data point you can and figure out which ones are important. Right. Uh, and and right. most importantly, which ones are predictive, right? What's not a, what's not data? What's not a report? But what's an insight, right? And 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 moving into that, right? And that's ultimately what you want to do is you don't want things to be just purely retroactive. It's what can be predictive. What can actually help me make better decisions? Um, you kind of have to look at everything all the time and uh, find those kind of nuggets that that help drive it there. And usually, attribution models um, are very powerful tools that really actually do that in many cases. Yep. Yep. Uh, that makes sense. Good point. So just getting tactical for, for a minute, how do you actually go about implementing an attribution model for the first time? And then who would typically own this internally? So it's a great question. You know, I think the, ultimately the, the, 
the reality is most businesses have the ability to, to handle marketing attribution uh, today. Uh, you know, usually in terms of most marketing automation platforms, you don't necessarily need to go out and buy something special for it to, to get started. Um, and that would usually put ownership under marketing operations, right? And so that's usually the group that manages, um, you know, the, the, this function. Of course, we're seeing the, the advent of revenue operations in a lot of places. Uh, mm-hmm. We also see a lot of groups that are doing kind of broader level BI analytics and insights. So we could end up going under them, but this is generally a marketing activity and it's generally best supported by marketing software. Certainly marketing ops is going to have a big seat at the table if they're not individually driving this themselves. Got it. Okay. And so as, as you do go about implementing this, um, implementing kind of choosing an attribution model and, and getting it up and running, finding that internal owner, what are some of the biggest challenges you typically see um, with attribution models and what are some of the tips to avoid the challenges? I know it's a pretty broad question and there's obviously a bunch of different attribution models that can come into play here, but I'm curious just from your experience, you know, what are some of the, just the common missteps you see? The, the biggest misstep is there's no magical attribution model, right? Mm. There's no best practice model. And somebody might disagree with me on this, but, you know, there's no like, certainly there's not a one size fits all that this is the best attribution model. Every attribution model has its biases, right? You know, if, if we talk about, you know, if we just if we just talk, you know, single touch attribution models, you know, the the, the difference in readout from a first touch attribution model that really looks at the, how somebody got in your database versus a last touch, the numbers are going to be stark, right? And and right. You know, knowing those biases are there, right? It's it's a little bit more refined when you sort of I would like to use the example of kind of crossing the Rubicon. Um, when you go from you know single touch kind of multi-touch attribution models, you know the the linear attribution models are, are very popular. And the linear attribution model, you simply take if I have that hundred thousand dollar deal, and there was you know twenty touches along the the buyer's journey, every touch would get five thousand dollars in credit. You know, okay. So, so a model like that is something that is. Um, you know, very, very popular. Of course, if you have a lot of touches, you can end up chopping deals pretty finely and, you know, saying that, you know, this webcast was responsible for $23.42 of a deal is sometimes hard. Um, The one that I'm more the biggest fan of is, you know, time decay attribution. So a model that takes time into it, because I always like to say as a marketer, there's only four things I can do. I can either create more pipeline make it close more reliably, make it close for bigger dollars or make it close faster. Um, You know, and so time decay has like a bit of an idea that like things earlier in the cycle get less credit than things that are later in the cycle. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, then there's of course all these like, like to call them the letters because there's, you know, U-shaped and W-shaped and Z-straped and and these are, you know, it can get way too technical here, but they're all very, very different. Um, they're all going to, the good news is they're going to measure all of these things the same way. Mm. The, the, the trick you have to, to keep in mind with all the attribution models is it, it's very difficult to not take the number very seriously. And, and here's what I mean by that. If Google Analytics tells you that there were 2,000 visitors to your website yesterday, 
it may not mean that there were 2,000 visitors to your website yesterday. Um, people have gotten used to thinking that way, um, but it's actually not fully accurate. But if you went from 2,000 to 4,000 visitors between yesterday and today, to say that your traffic has doubled is correct, yeah. right? And so what matters less is the absolute value of the numbers you get and more the relative value of the numbers you get. And so, yeah. you know, it's you know, comparing how different pieces of content work in an attribution model is totally okay, right? Because regardless of the attribution model you take, it's gonna generally treat everything the same and let you, you, you measure it. But you have to be careful that, you know, if you take a, model that looks much more top of funnel, the top of your funnel is going to get more credit than the bottom of funnel, right? And, and, and vice versa. And that's where I always talk about those ethics issues, which I think people right. don't necessarily realize the implications. You know, right. if you roll out a data set that says, hey, the top of funnel blog team, you know, we used some type of attribution model that gave 10% of credit to the first touch. Well, they're going to get $10,000 on that $100,000 deal. And the bottom of funnel team is going to get ninety thousand on that bottom of funnel, uh, you know, on that one deal that came in, and and that's going to generally impact resourcing. It's going to generally impact how the the organization plans. Teams grow, yeah, of course. No, knowing so those biases is really tough. Offline is an interesting one because it, it often is a real culmination and team effort between marketing, which is doing a ton of the event prep a ton of the coordination, really all of the work that goes into um, making that event successful. And then oftentimes, at least from my experience, it tends to be sales that are actually the ones attending the event and the ones that are, you know, manning the booths or going to sessions and going to different networking events, shaking hands. Um, so I know this is a little bit outside the scope because we're, we're primarily focused on marketing execution uh, as our topic today, but that, that has been, you know, at least in my career, I've seen that be another point of, um, of kind of not necessarily contention internally, but kind of needing to be at least discussed, hey, how are we going to split this up from an attribution standpoint, given, um, you know, multiple people are kind of chipping, chipping in here. Yeah, and, and, and that's where it gets sticky, right? And I like to think of it, I, I talk of it, one of the ways that I've handled this internally is I like to look at things in kind of two ways. So one is I have, if you, if you think of like what attribution model do I use? I look at some of the time decay stuff, but I'm, we're not, a, you know, currently where I am right now, not very digital heavy. We rely a lot on trade shows because our, um, our platform demos very well. And, you know, we think it's a great way to kind of target our market. So, you know, the, the way I like to think of things is two, uh, on two hands. One is if I have a very, very strong, if I define a touch strongly, and what I mean by that is, I'm not focusing on every single web page visit, right? And so, so some of the attribution models you can literally give every single touch. So if they go through 15 pages, that's 15 touches in the website. Mm -hmm. I focus on what I call a, a strong MQL. So to become a marketing qualified lead, like you have to do something really powerful. So for me, it's a combination of one, persona-wise, it fits our ICP. So mm -hmm. they're firmographically correct. They're, they're who we want. And they've taken what I call the strongest possible action. So the website will only get credit, quote unquote, for contact us or demo requests. Mm -hmm. Won't get credit for ebook downloads, won't get credit for um, just browsing around the site. Trade shows are the same way. We'll only get credit, and this is strong credit in, that I use for, for kind of like tracking a deal, if that person was again in our persona or ICP, a met us at that show. 
Mm-hmm. Right. So when I talk about that in that way, marketers always kind of freak out and say, oh, my God, you're leaving so much on the table <laughs> because mm-hmm. I, I can claim a lot more. And I say, yes, if I can make the math work and I can get ROI with this strong MQL definition, and then I say, by the way, I have other stuff in reserve, that can get me a lot of credit. Mm-hmm. A lens that I think is also then really important is to say, how much business came through or was involved in this piece of content or this particular event? So, you know, for example, one of the most successful events I ever did from a, from a pure ROI perspective was a, was a dinner um, in Toronto uh, a few years back. Um, and the, the cost of the dinner was $5,248. And that dinner touched a total of $1.02 million in closed one business. Wow. Now, that's split up into two groups. One is we got a net new deal out of it, that the opportunity came subsequent to that, there was a $150,000 deal that got closed one. So that is my strong attribution, right? Mm-hmm. So, so from that perspective, I had 150,000, but I also had $872,000 in either current customers who renewed right after it, or current opportunities that were already open opportunities that we had at the dinner that closed subsequently. So when I talk about that event, I can say, hey, over a million dollars in business came through that event, and $150,000 came from it directly. So I'll use, I'll use the term indirect versus direct. The problem with things like attribution when you use them in this way is that you can't add. Right? If I add all my dinners together, I could sit there and say, wow, I did $10 million, we did $10 million in business. Well, mm-hmm. we didn't. <laughs> right? So the right, adding right, right. doesn't make sense because that 872 grand from that event theoretically was attributed to other things or wasn't counted if it wasn't new business and the like. And so being able to zoom in on a particular event gets you out of those sort of adding issues that, that generally gets folks in, into trouble when they use, you know, campaign influence. Because your traditional sort of Salesforce campaign influence report will spit out and say, you influenced $8.2 billion in bookings. And it's like, well, whoa. It's a guess. If every single thing counts, if every single deal counts a hundred times, yeah, you, you get there. So, you know, I think that's where you have to be, you know, kind of careful and just say, hey, this channel came through this. And then, you know, I think also part of it is just, you know, managing alignment at a team level. Look, especially things like trade shows, like you said, are they're full company things, right? You know, our leadership team is at them. Our sales team is at them. Our BDRs do work. It's kind of a full company, you know, full court press. Yeah. You know, the attribution isn't, this is mine. This is... Uh, this is yours. Those battles suck, and people are using attribution to fight those battles better. But like, if you're in that battle, it just sucks. Get out of it, right? <laughs> you know, this is really to be, be like, hey, which things work better? How do we do more of them? Which things didn't work, and how can we either fix them or stop doing them? And if you use that as the lens versus credit, especially between marketing and sales, um, you solve a lot of. We saw a lot of issues that, that attribution is getting called upon to do. Um, right. Yeah, but again, that, that requires, it requires cooperation and strength. And, and I know not everybody works with, you know, sales leaders or, more, or you know, uh, executives that, <laughs> that play nicely like that. So um, make sure you have the ability to fight that battle if you have to, but um, it's not well designed for, for those types of battles. And it can get squishy if you're not careful. Yeah, I really like that line of, you know, use it as a lens and not necessarily 
credit and it, it is important to come at it from a collaborative standpoint otherwise it, it just it, it it sucks for everyone involved trying to have that conversation of using this but, it, but it, is, it, it is tough and it's coming more concretely is you know people are getting competent you know people are starting to learn to compensate folks even in the marketing world less on like leads and something you know that that is can lose the audience pretty quickly and more on pipeline um, mm-hmm. You're seeing even sales reps further down in the funnel. Yeah, you're seeing sales reps getting spiffed or getting, you know, you know, they won't get full sort of commission pad if they don't create X amount of pipeline. And the second you do that, you kind of create these fights, right? And, and being yeah. aware, being aware of your compensation structures, what what, what you're incentivizing um, is is dangerous, right? You know, I'm certainly incentivized to create pipeline and, and have it become close one, but I made sure, and I actually fought against my sales guys getting comp for that because I said, then I've got conflict. And the right. sales team is going to be like, hey, I, you know, I've I, I got this myself. You know, I met this person on a golf course. Uh, I don't want there to be ill will where people are personally fighting over their own compensation. Uh, that's where it really can turn ugly and so so do you have any tips on how to deal with those types of internal conflicts or is it you know if, if you're having those internal conflicts then the system itself and the way that you're using it is inherently flawed what, what's your take there yeah i mean i always love i don't know if joe turnoff came up with the quote or um or said it um he's the cmo at pendo now uh but he said you know, tell me how i'm measured and i'll tell you how i behave <laughs> um, you know, and, and, and I think look, that's true, right? Anybody who's done, you know, I've done sales operations. I've had four tours doing sales ops. And so, um, I, I, I know from experience, you know, designing cop models, you know, you can make salespeople do some really weird and abnormal things because you put it in a comp lab, right? And, and, you know, the, the good news is I think marketers are getting treated a little bit more seriously from that perspective. I think there's a whole separate topic of the huge pay discrepancy between marketing and sales leaders these days, but um, I, I won't dive into that rabbit hole. But you have to be careful in terms of who's incentivized for what. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I love the move of, you know, comping on pipeline creation and some enlightened folks are actually getting comped on like close one deals as if they were mm-hmm. salespeople and, and they're, they're revenue leaders. You know, what you don't want to get into is, you know, we're only comping you on the stuff you made versus stuff the other people made because the second you start doing that that's an issue right, right? and right. and you know it's something where I've, I've sat there and i i've actually where i am i've become responsible for all of new business regardless of where it comes from so you know i said you know my sales team for on that's great but my target of pipeline is just new business pipeline we have we've carved out our channel separately because it's a channel and it needs to be measured separately, but everything that is sort of generated from within the organization falls under my responsibility, which means it's also my responsibility to help the salespeople prospect. Um, you know, and, and I think that also builds kind of good camaraderie, but it's not like mm-hmm. it's only marketing, marketing sourced pipe is the only thing we get credit for. Well, gosh, now I'm in a spot where I really want to make sure everything gets counted as marketing sourced now, do I? <laughs> Right. And, right. And, the second, um, and, and, and the way the way you explain it, the way I explained it once, and, and actually this was a good way to sort of diffuse this as I said, look, do you want my I'll, I'll use sort of lowercase attribution? Do you want my attribution on this to be based off of the analytics for the company or versus increasing myself and my team's comp? Right? Because I said I'm going to be biased and I'm going to be questioned. 
right? Every time I quote unquote take credit for an op, you're not going to sit there and say, John, you're doing that because you have a reason. You're like, well, of course, John called that a trade show op. That makes him more money, right? right? And the second we do that, all analytics based out of that are toast. You know, that's the great thing about like, that's why we comp sales is like, we comp sales people to bring in deals. That way we can analyze the deals they brought in. We're well on that. The second that you sort of say like, well, it's only if you attribute it and not sales and, and stuff like that, especially with the ABM regimes, gosh, you can always say there's credit on both sides. Um, yeah. Yeah, you, you want to get out of that mess. And I, I think if you explain it sort of rationally from that perspective of, I don't want every time I present my data to you for you guys to be nitpicking going, well, you could have called that this way, but it gives you more money this way. You, you don't want to be there. You're dead. You're not going to have right. any analytics. And, and I think if you sort of explain to an executive that way, they'll, they'll sort of support you and say, yeah, we, we, we don't want the appearance of bias to be there, right? Whether right. or not it actually is there. And I'm sure in some cases, you know, page hey, we're humans, we, we get tempted, but the appearance right. of bias makes the analytics hard. So you have to figure out how to make all this analysis not be apparently biased. And like, I think that's all, like I said, that's the challenge of attribution models. You start, so you know, if your bias is towards top of funnel, you select top of funnel attribution models, your data is biased. Right. And, right. and you know, it, it could be implicit, it, you know, it could be a completely honest mistake, but it's one you have to be very, very careful of. You don't want to create systemic biases that, that make data analytics difficult, if not impossible. Right. Cause if two right. people look at things the same way um, and agree, they can have a meaningful discussion, but you put people against each other. Whew, it's tough. <laughs> Yeah, for, for sure. And it's important to keep all that in mind so that you get to the place where you are using uh, marketing attribution to highlight, you know, what areas are really driving revenue and when which areas need to be experimented with a bit more instead of it becoming just a, you know, full on kind of comp battle every time a new lead or opportunity comes in. Uh, oh, yeah. So and, and by the way, point. I've had those battles. They can be very fun. But they're, 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 they're not they're not super productive, and they generally don't result. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Like that's not that's not the the, the point of introducing these in the first place, for sure. Well, John, we've covered we've covered a ton. We've talked about you know what is attribution and marketing attribution at a high level. We've talked about all a bunch of different examples of ways to splice um, splice up marketing attribution um, in, in different different ways to design it. We've talked about ways to implement it, who should own it, common pitfalls, um, how to deal with internal conflicts when they arise. Any other final thoughts or, or tips from folks uh, that you want to leave them with before we wrap up here? Our tool belt as marketers is getting comical these days, right? You know, just just look at Scott Brinker's Martech landscape year over year mm -hmm. and, and how it's exponentially growing, right? You know, this is another tool in your tool belt. The best tool you got is the one between your two ears, right? And, and you know, the the challenge with all of these things is they look backwards, right? And, and you know, we have too much data these days. You know, we have a lot of reports. You know, really, it's how do we deliver insights to the business? And, you know, the, the challenging part of a marketer is you have to be almost a little schizophrenic. Half, mm -hmm. half of you has to be doing everything you can to make the numbers better. And then the other half of you has to put your pencils down and say, okay, what work did I do? Grade it honestly and grade it in, you know, hey, if you're using attribution models, grade it in 10 different ways. 
um, mm. and see what the grades say and come up with insights from it and say, ah, this is a nugget I can use to, uh, to sort of make things move forward. You know, I've, I've always been a big fan of, you know, I even said this to my board of, of my what's working, what's not, what's new, what's next model. Um, you know, where I say, you know, every quarter I have to talk about some things that are working. I have to talk about some things that are not. I have to have some new things and I have to have some stuff on my backlog. Um, and the discipline is if it was, if it was working the previous quarter, I should have done more of it by the next quarter. If it was not working, I should have fixed it. Um, if it was in the new list, it should be um, either working or not. And I should have some initial data and my, my backlog should keep growing. And that's what folks want to see. They want to see kind of incremental progress. And, I mean, other executives aren't playing a huge gotcha game, right? And, and you know, it's important to get, you know, to, to not sort of lose the forest through the trees, so to speak. But um, your, your best tool is just, you know, understanding this, spending time with it. Don't be daunted. You know, the market, CMOs spend more money on technology than CIOs these days. So you have to be the most technical person in the room and the most creative person in the room. That's just bloody hard. Um, yeah. but you know, um, use the tool, but there's no, there's no silver bullet. There's just another tool that solves for things. For sure. For sure. And none of these, and none of these tools operate on their own, right? They all, they all need that lens of, um, just applying your own, your own smarts and intuition to make them effective. So I think John, thank you so much for taking the time. Uh, I've certainly learned a lot. I'm sure our listeners have too. And we really appreciate you coming on the show. Thank you.